Hi, everyone. I'm Pastor Eric. And I'm Kelsey. And we're here to welcome you back to another exciting episode of The Good News in Harry Potter. Today, we're going to be talking about Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 12, The Patronus. So, Kelsey, what did you like about this chapter? I really liked when Lupin was explaining what a Patronus is to Harry. Um, Harry's picturing it in his head, and it's described as Harry's imagining it to be a Hagrid-sized spell or form that comes out of his wand. Um, and I just love that Hagrid is the description that Harry used. I think it really shows that he pictures Hagrid as this safe, protective being. Like it could have been an elephant-sized thing he was picturing or just a giant-sized thing, but no, it was Hagrid. Yeah, really tying that whole um, kind of big role that Hagrid plays in Harry's life there. Um, you know, even the memory he uses is, in fact, tied to Hagrid that eventually leads to a successful Patronus. Yeah. Yeah, it'd almost be too perfect. I mean, you know how uh, Lupin in this chapter explains how everyone's Patronus is unique to them. And oh, yeah. wouldn't it have been great if it's just a actually giant was Hagrid. Hagrid? That would be incredible. I feel like really weird if people's Patronuses actually formed the form of like somebody else, like an actual human, because every Patronus that I've ever heard about is an animal. But. I mean, that's a pretty big form of flattery if somebody's Patronus is the shape of you. And I imagine that would be the scariest Patronus, which is a giant Hagrid coming out ready to wreck some Dementors. For sure. What was your favorite part? Unsurprisingly, my favorite part of this chapter is Oliver Wood. Of course. Because Wood is in his woodiest elements here. I just love it. He comes up to Harry, and you get the sense that he's about to tell Harry that he's not going to be on the team anymore. You oh, know, yeah. Because this is his last year. They have to get the cup, and we can't have any more mistakes, Harry. And if the Dementors are going to come again, I can't risk the fact that you're going to fall, thus causing us to lose the match again, and we can't lose another match, you know. You can you can tell that this is where yeah. it's going. And then even when Harry goes and he goes, oh, well, I'm working on the whole Dementor angle. I'm supposed to do some training with Professor Lupin. And, you know, Wood's still not even that ecstatic on that. He's like, oh, well, that's good. You know, I would hate to lose you from the team and everything. Right. But then he finds out that Harry got a firebolt. And off to the races his imagination just goes he's you just almost see the word just pop up in his brain he can't even process it he's running on all cylinders just trying to encompass the idea that harry has a firebolt yeah well even in that conversation harry mentions like i don't have it right now because the teachers were worried that maybe something's wrong with it because oh yeah you know serious black like he's after me wood hears nothing of that absolutely nothing you know, he goes, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to McGonagall, Harry, sure, sure, sure. And then, you know, comes back later and he's like, oh, well, you know, McGonagall actually thought that I was pretty uncaring because I said I didn't care if it jinxed and threw you off as long as you it's got the, the snitch. snitch. <laughs> yes. Telling you without a doubt where Oliver Wood's priorities 
are and rightly should be. Yep. That was probably one of my favorite Oliver Wood lines to date. You know, it's really what's best for the team, Harry. And if it's a Jinx firebolt, but the firebolt still gets you there, it's fine. you got to use it. It's yeah. fine. As long as you catch that snitch first, I don't care. The, the part I didn't like about this chapter, even though my love for Oliver stems almost everything in this in this chapter. Is Harry and Ron are the worst friends. Yeah, they kind of stink. I mean, last week I kind of like was a little bit, you know, I understood where Hermione was coming from and everything. And yeah, it was probably a good idea to get it checked for jinxes. But oh, man, there's like no one in the castle. Hermione stayed just for them. And because she tells McGonagall about the broom and, you know, is looking out for Harry's best interest, silent treatment. The rest of vacation. So rude that they just aren't even speaking to her. When I I get it, it's disappointing, but they've got to realize that her heart was in the right place. But I will say, I know we like to, you know, give Ron a hard time, but for a moment, I felt like there was some points for Ron in this chapter. Even though they were giving Hermione the silent treatment, which is unforgivable, and they should have been much nicer, Ron is the only one that seems to be noticing Hermione's crazy schedule and trying to understand how she's making all of her classes to the point where he's following up on her. He's like, you know, Harry, she's never missed a divination class, but I was speaking with so-and-so. And he said he's, she's never missed a muggle studies class. And she was talking to the professor about arithmancy, but that's at the same time as this other class. I don't remember which one. But, and like Harry just kind of brushes Ron off and is too busy thinking about other stuff. And for once, Ron is actually paying attention and caring about Hermione, which I was proud of Ron for until then, you know, he continued to be a butthead to her later. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I'll give it to Ron. I mean, you know, Harry's all lost in the uh, who's going to kill me this week drama that yeah. is, you know, his life. Yep. And it's nice that Ron is looking out for Hermione, but, you know, I still just don't want to give him any credit. You know, <laughs> I know you he's don't. Ron. You never do. <laughs> I mean, overall, Ron and Harry are just not great friends to Hermione in this chapter, for sure. I just... That little piece surprised me, and I was a little proud of Ron for at least being a decent enough friend to notice that. I think Hermione's sole contribution to this chapter is, and I love it, her little (laughs) that she makes as they walk by uh, leaving Lupin's classroom, you know, and she goes, oh, you guys don't understand, and I I believe the book uses an aura of superiority. I'm like, that's Hermione right there. Yep. You know. That's how she would want to rejoin the conversation, and I am here for it. Because, frankly, I would have an air, an aura of superiority if I got stuck with Ron all the time. Yep. Absolutely. And she clearly thinks she knows something about Lupin that they don't. And Well, she's certainly taking enough classes. Right. And I don't blame her for not telling them, because they're being mean to her. Oh, to go back to the drama of high school. Middle school. Middle school. They're 13. Oh, yeah. It's even deeper drama. Even deeper drama, for sure. So, as Harry and Lupin start working on this um, Patronus charm, and, Mm -hmm. you know, the part, 
that I hated in this whole thing. I think I'm like, I want to believe that Harry's a good wizard, but he was told the two word charm and he can't even remember it right after he's told them. And he mispronounces it so many times. And I'm just like, Okay, but, like, if somebody told you two gibberish words, do you think you would, like, repeat it perfectly right off the bat? I mean, maybe. I mean, if my life depended on it, maybe I would take a little bit of closer listen. Again, you know, he's 13. Yeah, and, you know, this is his life. His, the Quidditch cup rests on this charm, essentially. Yeah, maybe it's not his life, but it's definitely his seat on the Quidditch team. Because Oliver Wood is going to kick him off. So if Wood's life depended on this charm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're going through these, you know, getting Harry to produce the charm. And I, I found it super interesting on kind of how the charm seemed to work. Lupin was uh, describing it as a shield of pure joy. And that since the this shield of pure joy had no grief in it, the Dementor can feed upon it. Yeah. Uh, and it pushes... Uh, it, it gets the Dementor away. Um, and then Harry goes through a couple of different memories here, and I think it's telling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, first we have him riding a broom, and that one, you know, doesn't really seem to work that well. And then he moves on to the house cup, and that one, you know, it's a pretty happy memory, right? Yeah. And that one doesn't seem to work that well either. And then so he... He racks his brain and tries to think of the happiest point in his whole life. And, you know, if you look at Harry's life in retrospect, you know, there's probably not a lot of super happy moments there, especially pre-11. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he gets to the point when he's told he's a wizard. And that one at least seems to have enough gravitas in it so that it works. But I just found that whole transition super interesting. Yeah, I would agree. I really liked the progression and that we saw him struggling to come up with these happy memories that were going to be powerful enough. Um, but what I really liked is right before this third try where he thought of the memory of becoming a wizard, he first took the time to really recognize and understand that there might be a piece of him that maybe didn't want this Patronus to be successful because when the Dementors come and make him pass out, essentially, he hears his parents' voice for a moment. In fact, in this scene, we saw him hear his father's voice for the first time and find out that his father was trying to hold off Voldemort and protect Harry and his mom long enough for them to get away, which I think had a really profound impact on Harry. And the fact that right then and there he took the time to acknowledge, like, Maybe I'm not being successful at this for a reason. Yeah, hearing um, James's voice there really seems to shake him, and not just him, but also Lupin to yeah. some extent. Yeah, I know. And Lupin, you kind of see Lupin lose his sense of control for a second when Harry says, I heard my father. Um, so I just really thought that that was powerful, that right before he was successful, he has this moment of honesty within himself and recognition that I have to let this piece go and find something happy, different than what I've been working on and more powerful and overcome this really innate desire 
to hear my parents. I mean, what kid isn't going to want to hear their parents' voices, especially when he's really never heard his parents' voices before? Yeah, and I found this transition super interesting because um, up until this point, he seems pretty afraid to hear his mom's voice, mm-hmm. right? He, like, it, it's piercing, it cuts screaming. him to the cords when she's screaming, right? Yeah, but painful. here we have a like almost like a different memory. It's like, even though James speaking is still scary, because obviously he's panicked, it's the act that James is doing is filled with love and caring for them. And I think that in that moment, Harry feels that, which is very different than obviously the piercing scream of his mom. Yeah. And honestly, with all of those hurdles to overcome, I think it's it shows reason on why the third memory is a successful one. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, those first two, the riding a broom or winning the house cup, you know, Harry still has that inner longing to with his parents that his mind keeps floating back to that and you know the spell fails and the the clouds come in and he hears their voices again um but really it's the third memory um which is it's often looked at like a turning point mm-hmm. in in harry's life a, a a point of new life for him but i think it also connects him back to his parents yeah i mean it's the first time When he found out that he was a wizard, it was the first time that he also found out that his parents weren't just two lowlifes as the Dursley has always considered or told him that they were and that they didn't die in a car crash. They died heroically. Yeah, I think Hagrid in that scene even says, you know, um, uh, Lily and James Potter, you know, died in a car crash. Nonsense. They were the bravest wizards I've ever known. Yeah. And it's in that moment that, and you're a wizard too, Harry. Yeah, that you know, it, it's it's a un, it unites them right there for the first time probably in his whole life, where yeah. he feels some kind of connection to these people he's never known. Exactly, and I like that it's we're seeing two life changing moments here. Obviously, the moment that Harry's parents died was life changing, and then the moment that he became a wizard was life changing. He got to no longer live with the Dursleys. His whole entire who he was as a person changed he found out that he had magical abilities he goes to hogwarts makes friends finds a new type of family but as you said it also for the first time ties him back to his parents and gives him the validation that he's always probably known in his heart that his parents were wonderful people who loved him so i think this begs the question of all of us where do we seek happiness and unbridled joy, right? And I, I think the the memories that Harry goes through kind of gives shows us a template, mm-hmm. right? Uh, oftentimes when we look at this world, we're judged, um, we judge happiness on either um, some innate skill that we have. Maybe um, it's like when you did something very well for the first time and mm-hmm. it was something that you're really good at and you found validation in that or maybe it's success like winning the house cup and how important that was for harry last year um um, maybe it's professional success getting that promotion getting to that stage in your life where you feel fulfilled and you know that must be happiness right yeah but really those two they crumble in this and 
maybe it's something a little bit deeper, something that unites us back from the past into the present, like something like figuring out a truth about yourself. And honestly, when we think about that in terms of Christianity, I think it comes down to um, our baptismal covenants, um, where we reaffirm that we are children of God. And what does that mean for our lives in this new life that that offers us, that connects us to a deep truth in ourselves that's rooted from the very beginning of time and into this new life in which that truth springs forth joy and um, and love, really. Absolutely. And so maybe this week when you're out there wondering on what which Patronus you're going to be, <laughs> um, I'm an otter, if anyone's wondering, um, maybe find out where your joy is. Think about those truths that come to us in simple things and maybe not in the grand things that we'd like to think that they are and how God loves you down to your core just as you are. And we'll see you next week on another exciting episode of The Good News in Harry Potter. <laughs>